0: We review the 2017-18 NFL season and look ahead to Super Bowl 52. It's Tuesday, the 23rd of January. It's time for your daily
1: dose of Sporting Agenda. Your audio edition of the Fox Sports homepage. The Splash with your host, Phil Pryor.
0: Welcome into The Splash on this Tuesday. Joined by... Video producer, uh, newly crowned commissioner of the Fox Sports NFL Fantasy League, the Let's Get Digital League, uh, and also just general NFL uh, expert, Australia's NFL expert, I should say, Laurie Harash, welcome in.
1: Oh, it's good to be back on the splash, Phil. Prior. what an intro that was! Expert, God, don't you love hearing that word? Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's. It, that's the people that care about that word. Are like it's analyst, yeah, not expert. I don't know. Tragic,
1: <laughs> diehard, staying up till four in the morning and getting up at five in the morning. That's, yeah, that's probably the title that sums it up best.
0: Yeah, and the other title that the uh, digital video producer, or well, head of the digital video producing team, and uh, the the newsroom here just erupted uh, to something that was happening as I was trying to compile my rundown for this episode. What just happened?
1: I mean, I think Australia might have their new next Shane Warne. We may have discovered finally the heir to the leg-spinning throne, yeah. Lloyd Pope. Lloyd Pope. Taking- Eight for
0: nothing. Yes, yeah, so and nothing to do with the NFL. This is no. the Under Nineteens World Cup. Unbelievable. So a, a, a redhead a mullet, red-headed, <sighs> leg-spinning Aussie.
1: Yep. Who needs a whole lot of sunscreen? Teenager. Takes eight for thirty-five in the Under Nineteen World Cup against England, and who better to do it against than England? Uh, That's Australia's true. Australia defending one hundred and twenty-eight. And on he comes, he gives us about nine and a half overs, um, eight for 35. And the best thing about it all is he's got this unbelievable, unpickable googly. And he throws it down there like three times an over. That's awesome. It's fantastic. He's aggressive. And yeah, like we said, level one in the the Fox Sports building absolutely erupted.
0: He'll definitely be in the big batch next year, you'd have to assume. Get the big bash. Get him into the one-day squad now. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. Uh, the video is already on the website, so make sure you head to Fox Sports to check out his highlights, and I, I reckon that probably just about cancels out the uh, the the failed ODI series, this uh, this f- uh, fortune.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, what else could you possibly be clicking on right now than jumping <laughs> over to Fox Sports and checking this thing out?
0: All right, let's quickly do some headlines. In the tennis, the women's quarterfinals action is underway uh, on this Tuesday, and on the men's side, um, Roger Federer is through to the final eight. Rafael Nadal is holding up his end of the draw, and Laurie, here's one. In the part of the draw where Alex, Alexander Zverev, uh, Dom team, and Novak Djokovic are, guess what the quarterfinal looks like? World number 58 Hyung Chung up against world number 97 tennis Sandgren from. America, what about that? <laughs> I mean, look, if you
1: haven't been diving into these guys' forms of late, you know what I mean, you, you can't consider yourself a tennis tragic, can you?
0: Exactly. A couple more headlines. AFL, uh, Kurt Tippett retires um, after 178 games. It's the Sydney Swans, uh, big, of course, and Fox footy writer Riley Beveridge makes a case as to why he's one of the elite big men we have seen in the game. And in NBA, a rumour has shaken up the NBA. Um, Spurs star Kawhi Leonard is reportedly unhappy. Uh, head to the Fox Sports website for more details there. And of course, D-Day looms for Ben Simmons' all-star claims. I believe uh, we'll know whether or not the coach of the East wants Ben Simmons uh, involved in his bench um, as soon as tomorrow, Wednesday, Low.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of Australian hopes will depend on that, but What you get with the Australian NBA fans is, you know, obviously a whole lot of interest and patriotism and and, and hope to see. And not as many votes. Yeah, but not (laughs) as many votes. Sadly, we are a country of, what, 25 million and there's a whole lot of fans. Some fan bases boast that on their own over there in the States. So we'll just have to see for Benny, but obviously some big names that he has to contend with.
0: Mm. In saying that, Philadelphia sporting fans are pretty crazy, uh, as we've just found out um, across in the NFL, as the Eagles reach Super Bowl number 52 against the New England Patriots. Who else? Of course. Uh, and that's where we'll probably start our review of the season, uh, because in a fortnight's time, or just under a fortnight's time, the Patriots, Tom Brady, uh, will will shoot for yet another Super Bowl And this time, their opponent, uh, a replay of Super Bowl number 39, but hopefully not a replay um, of that dour affair uh, against the Eagles. Um, Yeah, first things first, Laurie. Uh, This Pats team, the, the story is getting old, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can understand there's a lot of fans out that are hoping for something new. Uh, But at the same time, you do have to sit back sometimes and recognize greatness uh, Mm. in all its forms. Is Brady the most likable person to people who aren't pats, diehards? Perhaps not. Is Belichick, you know, (laughs) quite often a curmudgeon at the press box? Sure. But uh, they're also the greatest quarterback coaching duo in the history of the NFL. Yeah. A chance for six rings is unbelievable. They... The way in which they match play, and I don't mean that in the golfing term, I mean how they work matchups from a week, week-to-week week basis and how they've evolved their defence or how Belichick has evolved that defence along with Matt Patricia uh, to kind of find some strength in what's often, what has a whole lot of no-name parts to it. Mm. It's nothing short of remarkable. And then Brady, he hasn't been lighting the world on fire in terms of numbers over the back end of this season, no doubt and at times the 40-year-old, um, you know, wear and tear does show no matter how much he wants to sell you on his pliability and, you know, avocado tofu. But when it comes to the second half and if you give them a ray of light, if you give them any any smither of a chance, uh, they, will, they will step up and they will bite you and they'll bite mm. you hard and they'll bite you repeatedly. And that's what we saw against the Jaguars who, like so many other teams, seemingly forget how to coach down the stretch of uh, close games, especially yeah. with a lead against... Uh, the New England Patriots and everything that that dynasty brings to the table and stares down at you from the opposite sideline.
0: Yeah, at this point of every it seems in our NFL season, uh, non-Patriots fans find solace in the hope that uh, that they can be shattered on on uh, on on Super Bowl Sunday uh, as it is over there. Uh, what makes you think that this uh, Philadelphia Eagles team can uh, uh, can turn the tide?
1: Well, I certainly think that the Patriots are deserving favourites. And when it comes down to it, they'll probably get my pick. But what's the recipe for the Philadelphia Eagles? One, the tough nose. This comes down from the coaching philosophy from Doug Peterson down through the organisation. They're a tough nose team. They're mentally, in the trenches. mentally so strong. They've been dominant in the trenches. Uh, the defensive front likes a Fletcher Cox, and Brandon Graham has been absolutely... Absolutely dominant this year yeah. and, and is no 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 easy feat to run on them. And they get pressure with four, which is huge. Uh, their offensive line lost left tackle Jason Peters, which yeah. should be the end of it. We saw how other teams struggled when they lost their left tackles or key offensive linemen this yeah. season. And those their offenses, blind side. they, they felt apart. But this yeah. this Philadelphia Eagles uh, unit has, has only gone on from strength to strength despite such a huge loss. Not just a skill player in terms of what he brings to to the table in Peters, but a senior uh, veteran leadership there and a, a guy who really um, encapsulates the identity of that offensive line room. And then they've lost Carson Wentz. Mm. Like their franchise quarterback, an MVP candidate, possibly the rightful MVP of this for this 2017-18 season. To overcome that, the adversity they've overcome, is is pretty remarkable. Um, and they have a whole lot of players that you want to go for as well. The likes of Chris Long, uh, who's donated his entire salary this year to charity. Uh, rushing the de- rushing the pass off part of that defensive end rotation so it's what what 's the recipe they need that um they need that defensive front to get after Brady. We saw it actually works uh when Jacksonville were able to do it early in the game mm. uh, they were able to hit Brady get pressure on him, uh make him feel it even when you can 't get sacks, make him feel the heat and hit him. Legally, illegally, whatever you have to do, uh, just bring that physicality up front and perhaps try to get him to start feeling some ghosts in the pocket, get his eyes to drop a little and, and look at that defensive line rather than downfield. And you've got to play sticky coverage. Um, I think Philadelphia in their win over Minnesota saw firsthand what, uh, what happens when um, defensive backs play undisciplined football, and I think that's what the Vikings did. Mm. Um, a, Terrence Newman, Harrison Smith, um, and, uh, and Trey Waynes all caught looking and spying on Nick Foles, thinking mm, we might be able to get ourselves a little, little pick six here um, against a, a quarterback they thought there were question marks on, and they, made, they got made to pay. Mm. They, they gave up huge plays downfield. Four Philadelphia receivers had 35 yard receptions or greater. Um, yeah. throughout that game so the big play was certainly back and then I hit them you know Philadelphia I wouldn't come out with the kind of read op, uh, the, the run pass option that we've seen um, you know with Nick Foles I'd be looking for to establish a power running game early um, get get the likes of Vajai and Blunt running hard downhill early on and then maybe later in the second quarter or you get into the second half I hit that switch and go tempo try to spread out this Patriots defense and, mm. and give Bill, be- Bill Belichick uh, something to, that he really needs to have to adjust to in the second half
0: Yeah, the two best coaching performances of the season, uh, league-wide, have been honoured by getting their teams to the Super Bowl. Uh, Surely Doug Peterson and and the Philadelphia coaching staff uh, can't fall into the same trap that we see time and time again when teams line up against this New England side. They get themselves out to big leads, and we saw it against Jacksonville just yesterday. Uh, Then just playing not to lose in the second half, rather than Going for the win, which Jacksonville uh, did successfully just a week earlier at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, you need to stay aggressive, and you need to have a second plan, second half plan going into the game. You don't need to try and conjure up one, you know, with that clock ticking down as 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 temperatures start to heat up. You need mm. to go in knowing what are our adjustments going to be, whether stuff's working or not, what is our plan going to be, what switch can we hit uh, when we need to. I think Jacksonville needed to look at um, trying to reestablish a, a screen game with the likes of Corey Grant. Um, and Yeldon there out of the backfield. I think they need to look at some misdirection, and I think they need to give a 235-pound back in Leonard Fournette a running start. Get him, get, um, get. Blaine Gabbert, uh, sorry, Blaine Gabbert, Blake Bortles. Ooh, we don't want to go down the Gabbert trail today. Get Blake Bortles under centre, uh, get him turning around and getting their big back running at pace and trying to bruise the, uh, the Patriots front, but they went away from that. Um, they seemed to, to, to be stuck in a plan of what they were going to do on first down and second down, and it put them in a hole, and you could just see um, the Patriots gain momentum, gain possessions. You give the Pats that
0: many chances, and they're going to come back and bite you. Nick Foles, let's, let's just hope he keeps going down the field, um, you know, it was obviously an unbelievable performance in that NFC Championship game. But it brings up another topic that I want to discuss, Laurie, being that there were a lot of no-frills quarterbacks that um, not only reached Conference Championship Week but had success this season when you add together the likes of Nick Foles, Blake Bortles, Case Keenum uh, in Minnesota. Uh, Are we seeing some kind of uh, a shift uh, in the way that the... Game has played which allows these kind of quarterbacks to have success in the NFL because for forever, uh, you know, the recipe for success has been uh, you need an all star quarterback to go all the way in the NFL to complement a strong D.
1: So I think there's a couple of parts to that question um, where the NFL's going and whether that allows perhaps non Hall of Fame quarterbacks <laughs> to, to have really big success. I think with the added elements we see coming in from college, whether that's uh, you know, run pass option or different kind of spread looks or limiting the reads that quarterbacks need to make and simplifying the game yeah. for them, yeah. that can certainly assist um, you know, lesser quarterbacks achieve you know, nice statistical numbers, easy third down completions for sure. But I think one of the realities we have to look at is that how the quarterback landscape has changed from where it was five to ten years ago. Mm. We had Peyton Manning and Tom Brady setting the mark, for so long. Yeah, Beneath yeah. them, you had your Kurt Warners. Aaron Rodgers was around. Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning was a two-time quarterback. Can we forget Tony Romo? Absolutely not. Not the, what I'm <laughs> enjoying the splash. The but back end of
0: Brett Favre. Back
1: end of Brett Favre. Absolute. Look at these names that were there. Look at the, the, the quality of quarterback play that we had for so long. Mm. Um, you throw in Carson Palmer as well, who's no longer going to be with us going forward... Uh, not on planet Earth, but in planet NFL. Um, and and you change that to what the reality is now. Those those names aren't coming through. We haven't seen Jameis Winston step up. We haven't seen Marcus Mariota step up. Dak Prescott had a backwards year this year. Um, do we get consistent play under the likes of Case Keenum in 2018, 19 and on? I'm not sure. The landscape of quarterback play has changed, and um, Tony Romo was talking about it just you know in the past 24 hours about what that looks like. He believes that we're going forward... We're out of this golden age of quarterback play and you're going to need to build a dominant defense Mm. and play good special teams players, the core for a team that can win in the playoffs because whether it's the likes of Russell Wilson out there that are playing with an undermanned system around him, when a great quarterback comes up against, uh, with you know a mediocre team around him, comes up against a dominant defense and good special yep. teams play in January. And of course, in that first week in February, they're going to come off second best a lot of the time. And that's just the reality of, of where the talent is right now in the NFL and also what's coming out of college. Um, mm. You're seeing less pro-style systems, so you're seeing less traditional quarterback-ready play coming into... We don't get Andrew Luck coming into the league every year.
0: Yeah, and I think it begs a big question heading into the off-season as well when, t- uh, when franchises are looking to trade uh, and acquire players through free agency. And then, of course, the draft. A team like Cleveland have a big decision to make and, of course, they've missed on so many of these decisions previously. But with picks one and four in the upcoming draft, should they try and, um, and grab and, and take... It's always a punt when you're taking these quarterbacks um, with your high first-round high first draft picks um, because there are busts, you know, in, uh, in the talent evaluation of these quarterbacks. Should they be targeting a quarterback with one of these picks or just acquiring one of the established quarterbacks in the league like an Alex Smith uh, or like a Kirk Cousins and then using those uh, top picks that they have in the draft uh, to to take stud players whether it's in defense or we've seen a recent trend towards taking the stud running back out of the draft class as well um, is because of the way that possibly we're seeing the league shifting uh, as we see Tom Brady you know entering his mid40s and and a possible regression as well is it time that Cleveland possibly looks uh, to free agency to find their quarterback? and then just build uh, the rest of the team through the draft.
1: Well, Let's touch on that free agency point first. Are Cleveland a good enough destination to land a quarterback? I don't and, think they're yeah. going to be able to bring Kirk Cousins in. Kirk Cousins is probably going to be the hot, the hottest demand quarterback yep. uh, this offseason um, over the next few months. As that plays out, there's already murmurs that um, that the Denver Broncos are in a right front seat uh, and John Elway is ready to lure another free agent quarterback yep. uh, two-mile high. Washington will see if they're in the mix. I believe Jacksonville should go after Kirk Cousins. There's a chance there's murmurs already that they're going to be lured into staying on with Blake Bortles next season, which I think is a mistake. So is Cleveland already in the trailing position for someone like Kirk Cousins? The links to Alex Smith are fair. And they're they're real with Glenn Dorsey taking over as general manager. He's the man who brought Alex Smith to Kansas City when he was running uh, the department there. So I think that's a possible route. I think if they landed Alex Smith, that'd be a great great result but it wouldn't stop me from drafting a quarterback you you can't keep shirking this responsibility you moved away from Carson Wentz you moved away from Deshaun Watson how much you you never pulled a trigger on the likes of a Dak Prescott and this is this is going back not just the past few years we're talking about decade plus of shirking this responsibility of of taking that that plunge there and with the likes of um, trying uh, to
0: find value in the draft to to more of it, you know they they took Deshaun Kaiser last year, Johnny yeah. Manziel at the back of the first round a few years ago,
1: but not that marquee Man up front exactly. that you want to see. Yeah. So do they do they look at this and go right, Sam Darnold, we're sold on you out of USC. Uh, we know there were some ups and downs this year, but you've got everything we could possibly want from a skill set um, and and you know mentality and focus and professionalism approach. Do they take that? That option—it's one that I would. I know there's going to be a lot of fans out there that want Saquon Barkley to turn up, <laughs> who's going to give you, uh, you know, flashbacks to Ladainian Tomlinson. Or do you look, we the talked star about. star running back in the draft. The star running back. The, the, the man who, you know, is going to carry on the tradition set by Ezekiel Elliott and then, uh, mm. of course, Leonard Fournette last year. Yeah. And then we talked about building a dominant defense. Miles Garrett will be dominant. He's yeah. shown that already. Yeah. The man can do things that few people can. Yeah. Um, he's a Jonah Lomo esque physical specimen mm. that yep. you have yep. there rushing the passer. Minka Fitzpatrick at the fourth overall pick. Is he a possibility? Um, defensive back out of Alabama can play all over the field. He can play corner, he can play nickel, he can play safety, he can play absolutely everywhere. Do you get him in and really start to build some just stupidly amazing blue chip talent on the defense? I think, I, I don't think Cleveland can come away from those top four picks uh, without their quarterback. And and it would, be, it would be remiss of me not to mention that Having the conviction, the conviction to say number one pick, this is our man, rather than let somebody else make that call for you and hope he someone hope a rose and slides to four. They need to stand in there at the top pick and say we have finally come with clarity uh, and a concrete decision to move forward. You can't keep to to skirt around this, even if you've got Alex Smith in the building, that's yep. great. Let your quarterback sit for a year or two. You could be in a rare position where you could have success with a veteran quarterback to keep coaching consistency and organisational consistency and keep from someone getting fired and Mm. still bring along a player uh, of high talent and youth at the quarterback position.
0: And uh, finally, reflecting on this season, uh, two things probably jump out uh, the most. And one is... The absolute injury apocalypse um, that was last season. The likes of Aaron Rodgers going down, Carson Wentz to Sean Watson, as he mentioned at the quarterback position. Players on both sides of the ball, star players, J.J. Watt, they all went down, uh, which was just, do you, is it luck or is it a deeper issue in the game these days? Who knows? Uh, and secondly, the other big issue, I suppose, is is uh, was more on a political uh, front when uh, with the, the sitting for the national anthem or the taking a knee um, and a league wide refusal to, um, to grab Colin Kaepernick as a backup, considering that he was the uh, really the, the beginning of this take a knee through the anthem issue. Um, and when you compare the, the NFL uh, and the NBA. It's really chalk and cheese in the way that the players and the stars and the franchises approach political issues uh, because in the NFL it seems like a lot of players are sort of encouraged to keep their mouths shut uh, to uh, to you know keep ev- everything at peace with its more inverted commas redneck market. <laughs> well,
1: I think you look at the market, sure that's definitely a factor. you know you do have a more conservative market. I would say in, in football, and especially in certain parts of the uh, the fifty states uh, of America, you certainly have uh, more more conservative sentiment and and um, and really dominant dominant feelings about the flag and military support and what all that, how that's all linked, and how whether you have the, the vision to be able to separate those and, and understand what's disrespectful and what's not. That's part of it, I think, in the NFL you're one of a greater number of players compared to the NBA. The NBA is a far more intimate league, no helmets. You see the faces of the players. Mm. Uh, It's a more intimate experience, more uh, player-driven than the NFL, whereas the NFL is definitely still owner-driven. But what will be interesting on that front, on the social front, is what conversations happen over the off-season. I think it'll start around... um, I think it'll start around the combine, which is a huge get together of NFL ownership and uh, front office personnel uh, if players um, if the players and, and leaders kind of the, of the player group and the NFLPA make their presence felt there and engage in conversation, that could be a starting point for, for where meetings and this, this uh, the next stage of the discourse can can go, um, but it's something that needs to become come about, and I think that's the result that the kneeling through a protest isn't the end game for players the end game for players. Is for greater um, attention and resourcing towards the socio-political issues that they care about, uh, and that are quite clearly on display as a real, real, you mm. know, detrimental and damaging impact across America. Um, to the other side of the injuries, it has been the story this season. In yeah. some ways, you wish at some at some points this season you wish you could just hit reset on it. Um, and give everybody their healthy players back and we run again and you know what if the New England Patriots win it might just feel like that as we go into the 28th <laughs> season that we just we just did hit re- the reset button because there's a very good chance that the Patriots are going to march into September 2018 uh, with rings uh, for yet
0: another Super Bowl championship and uh, and your pick uh, before we wrap up this podcast what what's your pick for the uh, for Super Bowl 52 in a couple of weeks well my big pick
1: is always around the anthem but I haven't finished my study on how long pink goes with that <laughs> but no for the game sadly the New England Patriots are the team that I will be picking to take out Super Bowl 52
0: interesting I reckon the tide is finally going to turn uh, I think this coaching group is good enough in, in the Eagles to see Nick Foles and the boys across the line I've got Philly winning by more than a touchdown whoa Uh, 31 to 24. Well, actually, that's not more than a touchdown when you consider a two point conversion. More, I will say fill him by more than a touchdown so that Tom Brady is not within range for a game-winning touchdown drive in the final two minutes of the fourth quarter. Unbelievable.
1: I think the fans would be going nuts we know Philadelphia <laughs> fans would be. I can't imagine what the dog mass would be doing in the stands then.
0: Yeah. Laurie Harris, thanks very much for joining us, Splash today. Always a pleasure. Uh, and that concludes us on this Tuesday. Plenty more uh, quality content to uh, keep going throughout the week on the Splash. Uh, and until next time... That's That's a wrap.